This morning, we continue our conversation centered on holiday L-I-G-H-T as we look at what I'm calling the inside light of the season and, and what the Christmas story has to offer us within the context of light, L-I-G-H-T. And remember, at the beginning of the month, I thought we were going to use the definition of light from last year, living inside God's highest truth, until my amazing husband, Mike, got that divine download of love is God's healing touch last week. That whole acronym sprang into his mind, fully formed, so we both knew it was where we were being pulled to go. And as I told you also next week, if any of you find that something like that happens to you, that some little something pops into your head, whether it's an acronym or just a topic or a story or some bit of inspiration that comes in there, holler. Let us know. Listen to that still small voice and let us know what you're getting. So this month, we are exploring how we can embody God's healing touch in this world. Not just at Christmas, but all year long. And shine your light in the world in a brighter way. The inside story of Christmas might not be something we look at all that often because we're so busy with the outside or the outer trappings of the holidays. Easy to get wrapped up in all of it, if you'll pardon the pun. This is a great affirmation. Um, God is directing my every step and blessing all of my activities. I am on a divine schedule and all unfolds in perfect timing. And that is a bit of a paraphrasing of Ernest Holmes' words on page 290 of The Science of Mind. He says, No mistakes have been made, none are being made, and none can be made. Declared daily, there is one supreme intelligence which governs, guides, tells me what to do, when to act, and how to act. Everything necessary to the full and complete expression of the most boundless experience of joy is mine now. And I love that. As anticipation-filled and festive and, yes, stressful as this time of year can be. Of course, we all know that gift-giving and cookie-baking and parties and feasts and all the other good stuff that we do this time of year, they aren't the real point of Christmas, right? We know that Christmas is the time of year when we revisit the story of the birth of Jesus and I say it's a story because theologians and scholars say that he was likely not born at this time of year, but that's a sermon for another December. And the story goes like this. Um, Jesus, whom many, many people believe was the greatest man to ever have lived, Jesus was born in a stable because there was no room in the inn. And wise men and shepherds followed a star to be by the manger with him. And as colorful as that story may be, this too is really an outside story of Christmas. And let me explain that. To get inside, we must catch the spirit 
realized by Angelus Silesius. Um, he's a 17th century mystic poet. And he said, though Christ a thousand times in Bethlehem be born, if he's not born in thee, thy soul is all forlorn. Or as Ernest Holmes wrote in his beautiful poem on page 360 of The Signs of Mind, one of your inspirational readings was from that this morning. He said, The universe cannot be forever subjected, nor cosmic law kept from human form. That within must be revealed. The seed of perfection must burst. The shoot of heavenly planting must break from the cords that bind, fanning the human into a blaze divine. If that doesn't describe letting your light shine, I don't know what does. And I didn't even realize it was there until last night. Context is everything, right? So Brother Angelus and Ernest Holmes explain that the inside story of Christmas, the inside light of Christmas, is allowing the Christ to be born within us. And when we look at the symbology inside the Christmas story, we're given a roadmap to birthing that Christ within, to living in the light. In fact, the elements of the Christmas story can have a deep personal meaning to each of us, far beyond their literal meaning, and which we might not notice from the outside looking in. So let's look at three of them, and then we'll look at applying them to our lives in a very real and personal way. And we're specifically looking at three points. Again, first, there was no room at the inn. We often ask ourselves, why was Jesus born in a manger? Why wasn't there room in the inn? In Bethlehem, the innkeeper isn't denying Joseph and Mary a room out of some bias or just because they were in the mood to be rude. There was simply a lack of space. And that got me thinking, Metaphysically, what might the inn symbolize? To me, it represents our minds, hearts, and hands. Is there room in your mind and heart for the reflection of the Christ within you? Is there room in your mind and heart for all that Jesus the Christ stood for? Is there room in your mind and heart For God's highest truths to reign? You may be wondering what I mean when I say God's highest truths. And I'll tell you. Um, And as I do, take this opportunity to ask yourself some of these important questions. Um, One of the highest truths is love. Is there room in our hearts to express and embody love Or are we so filled up with past wounds and hurts or expectations and conditions that we're too busy protecting and preserving those past hurts to allow ourselves to express love in the world? Peace. Is there room for peace or are we all filled up with unrest and upset and worry and doubt and Christmas lists? Forgiveness and compassion, is there room? Or are we filled with resentment and anger and holding on to it and perhaps nurturing and feeding it a little bit? 
Acceptance. Is there room for acceptance? Or are we so filled with judgment that we can't see through to acceptance? Miracles. Is there room for those? Or are we too filled with fear and attachment to appearances? Or maybe we're filled with doubt that miracles are not meant for us to experience. That they happen to and through other people, but not us. What about deeper understanding or deeper learning? Is there room for those? Or is the ego so involved in itself that nothing else can come in? Are we so attached to being right that no deepening can occur? Wondrous possibilities. They abound around us every single day if we choose to seek and see them. Is there room for those magical, wonderful, thrilling possibilities for our lives? Or are we too tied to what can't be done rather than what can? I could go on and on, but I think you get the idea. Hold on to these ideas for making room within your mind and heart for God's highest truths as we look at the second symbol for this morning. So second, we're going to look at the symbology of the shepherds tending their flock. Here they were, doing a wonderful job of vigilantly standing watch over their flock when an angel of the Lord appeared, probably scaring the heck out of them, to tell them that a very, very special child was born. Metaphysically, how are we like shepherds watching our flock? What could our flock be? It does not mean watching each other, To me, it means our thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and attitudes. We must lovingly, and note that I said lovingly, watch over that flock of thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and attitudes. We must keep those limiting, defeating, restrictive thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes constantly set to the highest good. To not let all the impulsive ick that society's conditioned us to believe about ourselves and our lives. Don't let it run rampant. Keep that internal flock of trust in divine guidance safe. Keep it steadfastly focused on God's highest truths. And that's especially important when things go in a direction that we don't like. It's easy to stay positive and God-centered when all's going well, right? But it's not quite so easy when they aren't. It's easy to think positive things about our health when we feel well, but if illness or physical pain strike, all of a sudden fear jumps in. It's easy to believe all the good stuff we teach her when things are going well on the outside. It's when they're not that we need to be especially mindful of what's going on on the inside. And tending the flock also means to do what we need to do in the world. It was the shepherd's job to tend the flock. It is our job as spiritual beings having human experiences to tend to the human experience as we need to do. To be good stewards of our vehicle, that's our body and mind. 
of our flow, our recognition of our abundance and good and peace and joy, and of our steadfast commitment to create more of that good and peace and joy in the lives of everyone around us. So tuck these ideas away as we now look at the final symbol, the wise men. In a piece which appeared in an old issue of the Science of Mind, which I've used before, Science of Mind magazine, and I like this because I, I, you can only read so many issues, right? But this issue was from the 50s, and it happened to be in the bookstore. This was, I think it was 54, I'm not sure. It was old. You can only read so many, though, right? But this said, the wise men, the magi, represent the intellect which goes in search after truth. That intelligence in all of us, which knows that God is not far off, that something within us, which feels with a feeling deep as life itself, that the holy babe in Bethlehem ought to be born in each one of us anew. And the wise men followed their intuition, led of God, until they too came to the manger where the little child lay. What do the wise men represent for us? The divine intelligence, the divine intuition inside us all that can lead and direct us to the Christ within so that we can both experience and embody the knowledge that love is God's healing touch if we simply choose to allow it. But we must listen to it, and we must follow it, just as the wise men followed that star in the east. In the east. So, too, must we follow our divine intelligence and intuition. Let them shine upon us, as our star, like that star from the, am I right? East? The star from the east shone upon the wise men. Let us be wise to follow. And if you were here last week, you know that the sermon that I'd originally planned to do was dramatically altered when I stumbled on an incredible story and I decided to use it to illustrate the point I was trying to make. And if you weren't here last week, I highly recommend that you visit the website, sananitachurch.org, and listen to the recording because it was a wonderful story. Um, and I scrapped about 60-plus percent of that original sermon, yanking away furiously um, as I condensed that story down. And I know you all liked it. I heard a lot of that. And it gave me an idea. When I was little... Like many parents, my dad would read a story to me every night before bed. But unlike most parents, my dad continued to read incredible stories to me and my mom throughout the years, all the way up into my teens and 20s, and he still continues it at home. Um, But usually sometime in winter or in summer when we'd be vacationing, you know, when those days are short in winter and that weather was cool and you couldn't go outside, he'd often find a book, a big book with multiple chapters, and he'd read a chapter of two to both of us every night until it was finished. 
last week's story inspired me to do something similar here at church. I'm going to try and tell you a story each Sunday in December to bring the point of these messages to life. And I'm hopeful that it'll become an annual tradition here for many Decembers to come. But before I tell you the story, let's very quickly review what we talked about today. So you've got no room at the end symbolizes having our hearts and minds open and available to express God's highest truth. You've got the shepherds tending their flocks. That symbolizes our need to watch over our thoughts, feelings, and beliefs and keep them focused on highest truths, especially when the circumstances look scary and to be good stewards of this earthly expression known as our lives. And the third is the wise men. They symbolize the divine intelligence and intuition that is available to us and is how we find the Christ light when we listen and follow, even if outer circumstances suggest we do otherwise. On to the story. She should never have waited so long to tackle the Christmas shopping, Kimberly Little reminded herself as she shifted her bundles from one aching arm to the other. She hated shopping, hated having to brave the crowds and sift through endless piles of merchandise. But there was only so much holiday gift buying one could do through the Internet. And, of course, the children needed their annual photo taken with Santa Claus. So here she was, imprisoned in a slow-moving visit Santa line, wondering if she might spend her entire holidays in that line in the Albuquerque Mall. Of course, she had to admit that her spirits were never up at this time of year, no matter how smoothly things went. Because Kimberly's father had passed away tragically in a plane crash a few days before Christmas when Kimberly was 14. And although many years had passed, she never faced December without feeling echoes of that familiar shock, sorrow, and loneliness. And as she grew into adulthood and her faith matured, Kimberly had gotten involved in her church, singing in the choir and teaching her young sons about prayer. So she didn't doubt that her father was in heaven and she would see him again. But every year as Christmas approached, some nagging question emerged. This is all supposed to be so wonderful. So why doesn't it feel that way? Kimberly shifted her many gift-filled shopping bags again and looked at her three young sons. Their moods seemed no cheerier than hers. One was demanding a ride on the train that he could see further down the mall. Another was ceaselessly letting everyone around him know that he was hungry. I hate Christmas, muttered the oldest, wearing that grumpy facial expression that kids approaching their teens all seem to favor, right? Kimberly felt guilty. Moms have so much influence on the spirit of the family, she thought. If we're just a little bit cranky, everyone picks up on it. She didn't want to spoil the season for the children. They shouldn't carry the same vague sadness she did. And as the line progressed, achingly, slowly, she glanced around at the other families in line. 
They were all like hers, she realized. Their kids were irritable, tired, and fighting with one another, while the parents seemed grimly resigned to endure. Why are we like this? Kimberly wondered. Where was the real Christmas, the spirit of love and peace, the joyful awareness that a blessed Christ child had come into the world? How did one cut through the confusion, the fatigue, the pressure, and yes, even the sorrowful memories to find that? And suddenly, God nudged her from within. It couldn't have been anything else, Kimberly says, because all at once I felt a little tingle, as if something new was happening. And I realized that if I wanted to feel better myself, I had to take the first step. I had to be brave. But how? Sing a carol, came the voice in her heart. She'd recently performed a solo in church, so she knew how to sing But this noisy shopping center was not church. Oh, no, God, not me, (laughs) she told him silently. You know how shy I am. People are going to stare. Bring the joy of Christmas to this mall. Sing, it said. And Kimberly sighed. It was no use. She knew that voice, and hadn't she asked him where Christmas was? So softly, She began to sing, Silent Night, Holy Night. The couple in front of her, who'd been filling out a photography order form, paused and turned around. Kimberly reached for her youngest son and picked him up. What if they threw her out of the mall for disturbing the peace? Look around you. You're bringing them peace, the answer came. Sing! And she did, more and more confidently with each word. The children behind her had stopped arguing. Listen, one whispered to the other, that lady's singing. The tips of Kimberly's ears turned red, but she went on. Her sons would never speak to her again, she thought. But was it her imagination or did she hear another voice join in the song? And another. Yes, the couple in front of her was singing. Their order form completely forgotten. Now the children behind her. And their parents. And the family next to them. Days, Kimberly realized that the entire section of the Santa Claus line had joined her. Even her own offspring. It was true. Little risks could lead to wonderful things. And she was feeling better. Her spirit soothed. Her mind quieted. Maybe Christmas and its eternal message was simply as close as anyone allowed it to be. And the voices began to fade as the song ended. And as silence briefly set in, Kimberly's voice piped up, Let's do angels we've heard on high. It was her oldest son's favorite carol, and her dad always loved it too.
It was going to be a wonderful Christmas. Thank you, choir. So right there, in that crowded shopping mall, Kimberly heard that voice. And she listened to it. And she followed it. Just as the wise men followed that star that rose in the east. She followed divine intelligence and intuition. That's our star. And every one of us has it. And she watched over and cared for the feelings of everyone around her, just as those shepherds tended those flocks in the fields that holy night. For she knew that she and everyone around had room in their hearts for the joy of the season. So what might that look like for you? I look forward to finding out. Tell me what happens. Because maybe yours will be the story for next December. Thank you.